Good morning, Epicenter Church. I want everybody in here to stand up. We're going to read it together. And then we'll jump into this thing. Let me say this. I love this passage of Scripture. There are things that are going on in Matthew chapter 18. When you read them, you don't fully see them because they're happening beneath the surface. We're going to talk about those things today. But here's what happens. It says in verse 21, Then Peter, he came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Wow. At this, the servant, he fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me. And I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe to me, he demanded. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. Let's go on down. I will pay it back. Verse 30, if my mobile device will agree with me. Verse 30 said, but he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled all of the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his masters handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Well, you can be seated if you can. Christmas is forgiving. You see, we celebrate the love of Christ at Christmas time by giving and exchanging gifts. We celebrate his audacious love and we give away gifts. Today's talk was kind of born out of an experience that I had at a homeless shelter this past week. We worked at a homeless shelter, and we had several people who were serving food. Now, let me, let me just say this. I, I met this gentleman by the name of Joe. And when I walked in, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I, I, I did not serve food. Instead, I went straight to the table where these guys were sitting, and I just engaged them in conversation. I just wanted to hang out with them. I wanted to find out who they were, find out their stories. And, and as we began to conversate, the, the conversation became pretty extreme and everyone was telling me their stories and their obstacles and their problems and their plight and their difficulties. And, and there was this one individual who kind of rose to the top and his name was Joe and he began to tell me his life story. How his, his fiance died suddenly at the age of, of 39 who just fell dead one day. And how his life just totally changed. And, and as we're engaging in this deep conversation, man, I, to be honest with you, I'm overwhelmed with, with a sense of obligation to help this dude. 
So after everyone kind of cleared out, I went and found him, and he was sitting back in this area by himself. And I, I just I said, hey, Joe, I, I want to know, what can I do for you? As an individual, what can I do to help you? To be honest with you, I was fully expecting, can, can you hit me with, you know, some money? Can you, um, you know, help me with, you know, maybe a couple of dollars or... I, I, that's what I expected. But the guy took it to a whole nother level for me. He paused, put his hands together, looked down at the ground, and then looked at me and he said, All I want is a second chance. All I want is society to give me another chance. He said, all I want. And this is what resonated with me. All I want is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I began to think at that moment, wow. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Forgiveness. See, we don't celebrate Christmas because... The birth of Christ, we celebrate Christmas because there's an Easter story. Isn't that what it's all about? It's forgiveness. But then I thought, you know what? We in the Christian world today, we call ourselves Christ followers and we embrace the cross because we know the cross gives us forgiveness. But the problem with the gift of forgiveness is we're ready to receive it, but we're not ready to pass it out. Hello? Let me explain this to you. I, I'm going to illustrate it this way. I told you this story probably a few years ago, but I think it's appropriate for right now. We have three boys, our two youngest boys, Cody and Jacob. Three years ago, Cody now is 16. He was 13 then. Jacob is now 10. He was 7 then. They decided they were going to have a wrestling match. It was going to be a no-holds-barred WWF fiasco. I'm serious. I'm talking about light bulbs being crushed into eyeballs and, you know, lamps flying across the room, the television falling off the shelf. I mean, just, it, it was bad. And so as I'm refereeing this thing, <laughs> having a good time, you know, things just got carried away and, and Cody kind of picks Jacob up and slings him across the room like he's just a sack of, of potatoes or something, you know. And, and so his feelings get hurt and then he comes back and he catches Cody, you know, with a right hook and his feelings get hurt. And, and the next thing you know, I'm kind of stepping in. I'm saying, hey, listen, guys, we can't do this. We just cannot do it. And, and so I, I want you just to say I'm sorry. Apologize to one another. And Cody looks at Jacob and he says, I, I'm sorry. I said, okay, Jacob, it's your turn. This is a seven-year-old. It, it's your turn to apologize. And he puts his hands behind his back and he says, nope. <laughs> I said, you have to apologize. He said, not going to do it. I said, you have to apologize. He said, I don't want to say I'm sorry. I want to stay mad at him. I thought, isn't that how we do life? Somebody does us wrong? <laughs> mm. We hold on to unforgiveness. We don't pass out the gift of forgiveness. If somebody does us wrong, we don't give away the gift of forgiveness. Instead, we try to figure out how we can retaliate. We hold on to unforgiveness. We stew on it. We brew on it. We, we just replay it over and over in our heads. But can I tell you something? Christmas is forgiving. 
I want you to take the space out of the two words for and giving. And let's smash those two words together. Christmas is one word, forgiving. I want to talk to you today about the gift of forgiveness. It's one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave us because he loved us so much that he gave his life for us and he forgave us. You see, the work of the cross that we need to embrace is not just for us. The cross and the embodiment of the cross, Jesus forgave us so that we would forgive others. Hello. Listen, I'm going to walk just as strongly as I can today and I'm going to step on as many toes as I possibly can. And I want to apologize right up front because I just want to be honest with you. Many of us in here are struggling with unforgiveness in our hearts. And so I want to talk to you about the gift of, uh, of forgiveness. In fact, I want to show you how important it is. I want to pause right here and let me unpack this forgiveness thing. Because we have overplayed this word in Christian culture and we've watered it down so much that we really don't know what forgiveness means. But it has a powerful impact. In fact, Jesus himself says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and following. You don't have to turn there. You just write that down. Take some notes and look at it when you get home. It's going to be on the screens for you. But Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he begins to highlight what the platform of his ministry is going to be. This is his first opportunity to tell the world what his ministry is going to be about. And so look what he says in verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. He begins to do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then he goes to a whole nother level. He goes to the vertical level. He begins to talk about our vertical relationship with God. Look what he says. He says what? He says what? He says what? Forgive us our debts. He's saying, God, give us a second chance. Give us a do-over. God, cleanse us from our sins and give me another chance. This is the prayer we're supposed to be praying. But then he adds this caveat. It's okay. It's okay for that. That's, that's great. We should embrace that. But he says something that sometimes we take in our Bibles and we erase. He says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hold on a second. That's past tense. Forgive us our debts, present tense, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some of your translations say forgive us because we've forgiven others. In other words, the forgiveness that God gives to you is totally contingent upon the forgiveness that you give in your horizontal relationships. Hello? This is powerful. That's the very beginning of his ministry. Let me take you to the end of, of, of the ministry of Christ. Look with me at Luke verse, chapter 23, verse 34. Don't turn there. Just write that down. Luke 23, verse 34. Look what Jesus says. Jesus is hanging on the cross at this moment. Every ounce of blood is being drained from his body. He's been brutally attacked. He's been wrongfully accused. He's had his beard ripped from his face. He is unrecognizable. He has done nothing wrong but love the world. And all of a sudden, he finds himself suspended between heaven and earth with nails in his hands and his feet. And he has every opportunity to cry out. But look what he says. He says, Father, do what? 
What? Forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Hang on a second. How did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? The very beginning of his ministry, he talks about forgiveness. And the very last syllables that roll off of his tongue just before his death, he talks about forgiveness. Why is this so important to him? It's the first thing he says. It's the last thing he says. Can I tell you why? He bookended his ministry with forgiveness because he knew that we would struggle with this forgiveness thing. He knew that unforgiveness was a cancer that would wreak havoc on your relationships. And when you do not address the unforgiveness issues in your life, it will not only ruin you, but it will ruin the other relationships that you're involved with. You see, unforgiveness, people, is like a wrecking ball that is swinging through the air and every single thing that it collides with, it obliterates It causes so much collateral damage in our lives, in our finances, in our relationships. This unforgiveness thing just begins to swing its way through our lives, bashing into every single thing. And you know what happens? We begin to take on characteristics of bitterness, anger, and resentment. And those things begin to slam their way through our lives, destroying everything that they come into contact with. You know how it works. Somebody does you wrong and you're like, okay, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. Yeah, it's on. You know how it works. You begin to make decisions based upon your unforgiveness and, and, and you're like, I, 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 I've got to get them back. And, and so this unforgiveness thing is just causing so much pain in, in your life and, and pretty soon it's controlling every decision that you make. You see, unforgiveness is cyclical. You may not even be thinking about it. You may not have even come to church today thinking about your past hurt. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a co-worker. Someone said something to you years ago that has crushed you. And, and now you're revisiting that pain. It's cyclical. That pain comes back because we revisit it over and over and over and over. How do we release it? How did Jesus, hanging on a cross in Luke chapter 23, after being bludgeoned, after being beaten, after being ridiculed, after being stripped naked, after all of the things that go with crucifixion, how in the world did Jesus say, Father, forgive them? How did he do that? How did he release them? You see, because that is the DNA of Christ. How did he do that? Jesus said, here's the gift of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. I wanted to study the word forgiveness or forgive so that I could give you a better understanding. So I want you to take some notes here for a second because I think for you to fully understand what Jesus said, let let me tell you what the word forgive means in the Greek. In the Greek, the word forgive is the word epiphany. It means this. It paints the picture of fully dissolving a debt. 
It paints the picture of canceling a debt. It paints this incredible picture of letting something go, letting it go. It paints this extreme picture that someone has hurt you, but rather than holding on to anger, you just let it go. Jesus is painting this picture of having a let it go attitude. Everyone say, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. One, two, three. Jesus is saying this when he uses the word forgive. He is saying that it's so much better for us to have an attitude of let it go as opposed to an attitude of anger. You can only have a let it go attitude if you're full of the love of Christ. Without being full of the love of Christ, you won't want to let anything go. Rather than saying let it go, you're going to say let's go get them. You're going to want to get them back. You're going to want to stew on it. You're going to want to brew on it. But, but Jesus, how did he say, Father, forgive them. Father, epiphany, cancel the debt. Let it go. You see, let me say this to you. Let me bring it to, to, to where the rubber meets the road. When someone does you wrong, epiphany. When someone slanders your name, epiphany. When someone hurts you or betrays you, epiphany. When someone does something to you ten years ago and they've been dead for nine, but yet you're still holding on to it, it's epiphany. It's let it go. Can I ask you this question this morning? Who do you need to release? What is it that you need to let go of? Maybe your husband betrayed you. Maybe your wife did you wrong. Maybe your father said something to you years ago and it continues to resonate in your ears. Maybe someone somewhere, a teacher, said something that you'd never be worth anything and you believe it. Maybe someone at work stole from you. Maybe, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Maybe you were abused. Epiphany. Let it go. You see, that's what the gift of forgiveness is. Understanding that, let me take you back to the text. Matthew chapter 18. Let's, let's jump back into this thing. I want to roll up our sleeves and unpack this concept. Because I think now that you understand what forgiveness is and why it was so important for Jesus, I think you'll have a better understanding of what's going on in Matthew chapter 18. Because listen, in Matthew chapter 18, there are some things that are happening that, that when you first look at it, you don't see these things. But once you understand the heart of Christ and the gift of love and forgiveness, you'll begin to see it. You see, here's what's happening. I want to give you some concepts. Jesus is having this conversation with a group of people about the very topic of forgiveness. Peter is kind of standing over at the side. Now, let me take some liberty here because I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Peter's kind of standing over at the side and he hears Jesus talking about this forgiveness thing. He begins to eavesdrop and he begins to listen and, and he begins to kind of take notes on what Jesus is saying. And, and so we know from Peter's lifestyle that Peter had some problems with forgiveness. This is the same dude that picks up a sword and chops off someone's ear. Peter's an in-your-face kind of dude. 
So we know that Peter had problems with unforgiveness in his life. And so here's Peter listening and, and all of a sudden Peter says, I'm going to get involved in this conversation. And he walks towards Jesus probably in some arrogant fashion. And then he says this in verse 21. He says, Jesus, how many times shall I forgive? He was probably talking in King James language here. How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he answers his own question. It becomes rhetorical and he says, up to seven times? Now let me pause here for a minute. Because this shows the spiritual arrogance of Peter. Can I tell you why? Because during the day of Jesus, the rabbis, they taught that if you could forgive someone three times, three times... You reach the spiritual pinnacle. All of a sudden, Peter knows that all the other disciples are listening. So he jumps into this conversation and says, How many times, Jesus? Seven? Kind of looking over his shoulder. I've arrived spiritually. I got it going on. And so you know the other disciples were standing behind him saying, Oh boy, what in the world? You have raised the standard. What's wrong with you, you nut? We can't forgive someone seven times. What are you doing? And then Jesus takes this conversation to the extreme. He says something to Peter that I don't think Peter was expecting. And this is where we get our first concept when it comes to the, a lifestyle of forgiveness. He says in verse 22, I tell you, Peter, you're not supposed to forgive seven times, but you're supposed to forgive 70 times seven. What? Can you imagine? Hold on a second. It went from three to seven. Now 70 times seven. You know what Jesus was saying to Peter? Peter, love forces us to live for the give. Love forces us to have a lifestyle of forgiveness. You can see Peter was probably standing there and he was going, okay, hold on a second. 70 times seven. Seven times seven. Carry the one... Um, Okay, uh, while he's tabulating that, I can imagine Jesus had a sidebar and said, Hold on a second, Peter. You cannot calculate. You cannot tabulate. You cannot use some numeric calculation when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness, Peter, is a lifestyle. Forgiveness, Peter, is something that you give away. It's a gift. Now, let me just say this to you. The lifestyle of forgiveness flies in the face of our culture. It flies in the face of our instincts because, let me be perfectly honest with you, we're a debit-credit society. We keep track of everything we do. Somebody does something to us, we open up a can on them. You know, you fill in the blank. I'm going to get you back. I, we begin to plot. We begin to think. We begin to stew. I, you know, I, I'm going to poison your dog. I'm going to put Visine in your tea. I hope you haven't tried that. I've used that before. You don't want to try it. I'm going to get you back. Let me, let me just say this to you. We begin to plot. We begin to revisit. We begin to rehearse all of that past pain in our lives. And you know what ends up happening? Because we're living in the past, our past begins to control our present. And then we can't move into our future the way God wants us to because we are missing his direction for our lives because we are constantly living on what happened last year, last month, last week, whenever. 
and we miss the course that God wants for us. And, and I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to use something that you've heard. It's been a while since I told you this, but those of you who call Epicenter home, you know that I'm very transparent. I'm made of flesh. And when I get behind the wheel, there are times that I have a little thing called anger. Road rage. Those of you who have heard me talk about it, just raise your hand. Just talk, so I'm going to make sure that any newcomers here know I'm pretty transparent. I get behind the wheel and, and I just turn into something else. I don't know what the deal is, I promise you. But I've been working on it. I am a lot better today than I was several years ago. So what I'm going to tell you is a story that happened a few years ago. I'm driving down the road with my wife. We're going to Chapel Hill. As I'm driving, one of the things that I hate, we're, we're on I-40, by the way. One of the things I hate is, is someone who cuts me off. That's a no-no. If you suffer with road rage, that's a no-no. And so I'm driving along. I'm in the fast lane. This dude comes flying from the on-ramp, and he comes all the way across about four lanes of traffic on I-40 and right in front of me. Now, I'm already speeding. I'm going 10 over at least, maybe 15. And he comes 20, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so he comes swinging in front of me. My car, really, I, I almost hit the median. I'm like, Phew. oh. <laughs> I look over at Kim. I said, cinch the belt up tight, baby. Here we go. So I floor it, and I'm flying up on the dude's bumper. Now listen, I'm just transparent. Listen, I'm made of flesh. I'm like Paul. You know, I've, I've, I've prayed three times for God to remove this, but it's, it's still there. So listen, just bear with me. And, and so I'm flying up on this dude's bumper, and she said, you can't, you can't, you can't, you know. You do not do this. And I'm just flying, and I fly around him, and I get in front of him, and I slow down. And he flies around me, and then he tries to get back in front of me, and I'm flooring it so he can't. And next thing you know, we're like up to 90, and I'm like, dude, you, we can do this all day. And so I kind of swerve over, and the dude does something that absolutely drives me crazy. He said that he was my number one fan. <laughs> he held up one finger. I cannot stand to be cut off in traffic, and I hate when the Tweety Bird comes flying out. <laughs> no, you didn't. And so the next thing you know, I'm flying around, and she's saying, you can't do this. And I said, God forgives. I'll ask him later. I'm telling you. <laughs> And so I'm swerving all over the place. And the next thing you know, I'm almost running him off the road. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you pull over and we'll talk about this thing, you know. And, and, and before long, man, I'm flying down the road at such a pace that whew, we passed the exit that I was supposed to get off on. Now, here's my point. My point is, if you are constantly dealing with anger, bitterness, and resentment, unforgiveness in your heart, you will never make it to where God wants you to go. Won't happen. You'll never get there. You'll want to go there, but you will never get there. It's what I call the PlayStation mentality. Hear me out on this. I came home a couple of weeks ago, and Cody was playing PlayStation 3 on television, and, and he was actually playing a game where he was playing someone else. I said, like, who's LL247? And, and, and um, he said, some dude, I don't know who he is, somewhere in the world, I'm, he's playing me, and I'm playing him. So I began to envision this dude somewhere in the world holding a controller, a gaming controller, somewhat controlling Cody's destiny in this game. D do you see where I'm going? When we have unforgiveness and we are constantly thinking about that unforgiveness and we revisit it and we rehearse it, what we're doing is we're giving the controller to our of our lives to that individual. And that individual is controlling our destiny. 
That's why forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. Let me show you what Jesus said about that. It's in verse 23. Look what he says right here. Matthew 18, 23. He says this is what we're supposed to do. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Now let me say this, the king is God. The king is Christ. That's what he's making reference to here. He says, who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. Now, that term settle accounts is a strict accounting term. We're going to call it the forgiveness account. Okay? I want you to write that down. If it's in your notes, maybe it's there. But it's the forgiveness account. It's an extreme accounting term. Settle accounts, that term in the Greek is only in the Bible two places. It's extreme. So he says, let's settle our accounts. How do we settle the accounts? Go to verse 24. 24 says, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, by the way, is $10 million in today's money. 10 million, says, was brought to him. Verse 25 since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Hang on a second. This is huge. This dude owes the king $10 million. Now today, maybe there's something huge in your life. Maybe it's not $10 million that you need to forgive, but maybe someone abused you. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you've made so many bad choices in your life that today you've got just a minefield of regrets. Maybe you need to forgive a co-worker or, or, or whomever, a brother, a sister. I want you to begin to envision who that person is. We've got to settle that account. And not through revenge, but through love. It's the gift of epiphany. It's letting it go. In fact, let me show you this in Romans. I know we're jumping around, but I'm going to tie it all together. Romans chapter 12, Paul says it better than I could ever say it. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, look what Paul says. He says, what word? What word? What word? I want you to take your Bibles right now and I want you to write your name above the word love. Right now. Make this thing personal. Love must be sincere. Mark, your love must be sincere. Jim, your love must be sincere. Zane, your love must be sincere. Betty, your love must be sincere. Laura, your love must be sincere. He establishes the plumb line. It's love. Now let's go to verse 14. Verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Now, bless and do not curse. Persecute means those who hurt you. Those who did you wrong. Those who said something to you. Those who stole from you. Those who have forced you to do things. Those who have slandered you. He says, bless those. Go to verse 17. I'm going to be honest with you. I I wish this verse were not in the Bible. This is a verse that, uh, that I have trouble with. This is a verse that we all have trouble with in our culture. I want to erase it, but, but, 
but you can't. I want you to see this. It says, do not repay who? Do not repay who? Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Verse 18. We're going to go through 21. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Whoa. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, resentment, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, but overcome evil with good. Verse 17. Go back to it again. I want you to see this. It says, do not repay anyone. There is no, and I want you to hear me here because I know there's some pain in this place today. And I am not at all trying to make light of your pain. I may not even fully understand it. And some of you may be saying, well, he doesn't understand what happened to me. I may not. My heart sympathizes with you. But all I can say is what God's word says. And it says right here, do not repay anyone. There's no exclusionary level two here. It's all inclusive. There's no, well, he hurt my child. So I'm not going to forget. There's no betrayal there. There's there's no level two. It's you forgive anyone. You see, love forces us to live for the give. That's number one. Number two is this, taking notes. Love forces us to cancel the debt. Look at, back at our text, verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus says this, Matthew 18. Love forces us to cancel the debt. It says this, the servant's master took pity on him. The word pity means mercy. He canceled the debt. And what did he do? He did what? Let him go. Epiphany. He canceled the debt. Epiphany. He let him go. He showed him mercy. Here's here's the moral of this story. There are going to be times, I want you to hear me out, everyone in here, look right at me. There are going to be times in your life that the debtor cannot repay you. But you can always show mercy. The dude couldn't repay it, but God showed mercy. Jesus is saying that's what epiphany is. There are going to be times in your life that you've been wronged and the person who wronged you cannot repay you, but you can always show mercy. It is your willingness to forgive him or her that enables you to move forward in life. That is what Jesus is saying here. This is the DNA of the life of Christ. Let me show you really quickly how to cancel the debt. We're getting to the very end of this this deal. If you want to cancel the debt, someone's hurt you, someone's done you wrong, there's three quick, simple ways that you do it. It shows us right here in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Jesus, this is Jesus, it's written in red. He says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. How many of you want to love your enemies? 
There's a few of us. In the natural, we don't want to do that. But this thing is taking it to a spiritual level. It says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Verse 28. Bless those who curse you. And then he says something. This is when he drops the emotional bomb on us. He says, pray for those who mistreat you. Can I tell you something? This is big. If you want to be able to cancel the debt of unforgiveness in your life, you have to pray for people who have hurt you. Some of you right now are saying, well, I got that one under control. I'm praying that he gets a bad stomach virus. I'm praying that the skin rash is so bad. I'm praying that her brakes go out running down a hill and the flower pot falls from the windowsill. Those of you who know what I just quoted, you listen to WKML. I just thought I'd call that out. (laughs) Country music. Anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. Pray for those who've hurt you. And pray, number one, for their hurt to be healed. Can I tell you something? Hurt people hurt people. If someone hurt you, probably someone hurt them. If you want to be able to cancel the debt, pray for those who've hurt you. Secondly, pray for God to forgive them so that they'll turn from their ways. Thirdly, this is the hardest, pray for God to bless them. Mm, Ain't that hard. It's all quiet up in God's house today. Don't go to shouting when I'm preaching good here now. Pray for God to bless them. Now, let me just say this. I don't fully comprehend this. I can't say that I've mastered this. I'm not standing in front of you in some pretentious fashion, giving you this one, two, three, this command of God, saying that I have fully lived this in my own life. I haven't. I'm working on it. We all are. What I am telling you, though, is this. I don't fully understand why it is that when we pray for for others, we don't see the change in them. Maybe you won't see the change in them, but can I tell you this? I guarantee you, as you're praying for others, God will make a change in you. It's impossible. Your prayers will affect you. You see, we've got to allow love to force us to cancel the debt Here's the third thing. The third thing is this. Love and forgiveness breaks the chain of pain in our lives. Breaks the chain. I won't paraphrase this because I'm going to close. Right after verse 27 and 28, the dude who's just been forgiven for $10 million, he walks out into the street and he sees a guy who owes him, you know what the equivalent is in today's dollars? $11. He's got a dude who owes him $11. He's just been forgiven of $10 million. I want you to hang right here with me. He's been forgiven of $10 million, but yet he walks out in the street and he begins to choke a dude over $11. What is so beautiful in this story is that after the king finds out that he has done this, you know what happens? He brings him back before him and then he throws him into a prison. Now here's what's awesome to me in this story that you don't necessarily see up front. And that is this, he was forgiven. But yet he didn't give forgiveness. 
the cross worked for him, but yet he wouldn't extend forgiveness to someone else. Instead, he took up with the misery of unforgiveness and it put him back in prison. Some of you are in a prison today. Some of you have given your heart to Christ and and, and you're living in a lot of ways for Christ, but there's this huge thing of unforgiveness and you've taken back up with your misery. And right here, God is saying, let it go. Epiphany. Let it go. Who is it that you need to forgive? I wrote that in your worship directory. There's a blank there. Who is it? Is it your husband? Is it your brother? Is it yourself? What's on the other side of forgiveness for you? You've you've been on this side of unforgiveness. What's on the other side? You've lost so much time. Can I tell you something? Mourn the years that you've lost so that you will embrace the new things that God has for you. Bring some closure to it by giving away forgiveness. So many of you are off the path that God wants for your life because you cannot forgive the man that you shave every single morning. You can't forgive your parents for saying things to you that you wish they would have never said, but yet you believe it now. Some of you are holding such bitterness and anger and resentment because someone did something to you 25 years ago and they've been in the grave for 10 And it has controlled your destiny. Epiphany. It's time to let it go.